Welcome to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. Today on the podcast, we have a story of how physics has saved thousands of lives out on the open ocean. Lighthouses, as we know them today, are the product of a brilliant insight by physicist Augustin Fresnel. Fresnel designed a new type of lens that is responsible for making lighthouses bright enough to actually help ships navigate coastlines. The Fresnel lens caused a paradigm shift in the safety of ocean travel. They played a major strategic role in the American Civil War, and they helped Fresnel make his mark on the world. That's today on the Physics Central Podcast. In the year 1816, it was estimated that in the English Channel alone, about 100 ships wrecked every year. The insurance company, Lloyd's of London, reported a total of 362 lost ships that year. Can you imagine if 362 airplanes crashed every year? Would anyone ever take a flight again? That year, there was a particularly grisly story in the press about the wreck of the ship Medusa. It ran aground off the coast of Africa, and there weren't enough lifeboats for everyone. So some of the passengers became stranded on a makeshift raft where they stayed for weeks before they were rescued. The few survivors of that ordeal would later confess that they had eaten the flesh of the other dead passengers and that at one point they actually murdered the weakest members of the party in order to improve the odds of survival for the stronger members. I mean, one of the things that I hadn't really realized was just how um, how much sort of shipwreck sort of played into the daily lives of, uh, of people. I mean, anyone who was going to be sailing the sea had to sort of confront this as a possibility. I mean, it was much more part of the fabric of society than, uh, than we think of it now. This is Teresa Levitt. I'm an associate professor of history at the University of Mississippi. I'm a historian of science um, and a historian of of physics um, in particular. Levitt is the author of the book A Short Bright Flash, Augustin Fresnel and the Birth of the Modern Lighthouse. Fresnel is the hero of our story today. He found a way to significantly reduce the number of shipwrecks in the world. And that basically changed that entire method of travel. He's this towering figure in the history of physics. But then later in his life, he really abandons doing theoretical physics, really at the point where he's the most important theoretical physicist in the world. But he abandons that and really devotes his time entirely to lighthouses. And when I first came across this, I thought that this was uh, <laughs> this was almost sort of scandalous that France would be sending its best physicists out to inspect lighthouses on, on the coast. Scandalous, perhaps, but also very important. And Fresnel seemed to realize that this was a problem that needed physics. Fresnel was not born into a social or economic class that earned him immediate access to the physics community in France. He did most of his early work by himself and then had friends who belonged to the French Academy of Sciences get that work in front of the premier physicists of the day. And eventually he became one of the greatest physicists in France. One of his major contributions was providing some very hard evidence to show that light 
behaves like a wave. At this point in history, people were debating very heavily if it was a wave or a particle. But perhaps more importantly, he also demonstrated a very rigorous mathematical approach to studying physical phenomena. What he's, he's bringing in uh, this sort of new form of, of mathematics, uh, what was called at the time sort of analysis, but is essentially a much more sophisticated form of using, of using integrals than the sort of clunky calculus that had been used before. So what he does is he both comes up with a new way of looking at light, but then he also comes up with essentially a new, more mathematically sophisticated way of treating physical problems, uh, which becomes essentially a model of how physics is done uh, in the 19th century. So after this long struggle to break into this elite world and his glorious rise to the top, Fresnel decides to walk away from theoretical work and tackle this problem of creating better lighthouses. Most shipwrecks in the 19th century did not happen in open water. They happened near land. The ships sank because they would run into rocks or sandbars or small islands. So Fresnel wanted to build a better lighthouse, one that could warn sailors of these dangerous outcroppings, but which could also allow them to stay close enough to the shore to keep track of where they were. Today, this seems like the obvious use of a lighthouse, but in 1816, lighthouses were basically useless in this regard. The idea that a lighthouse is something that you would use to warn ships away from a dangerous coastline, that actually is very new. So you do have lighthouses being used primarily um, to mark the entrances of harbors, and they're used to help guide ships in and out of harbors, and that is very old. And they start just being, you know, sort of fires on the top of a tower. And and fairly quickly, people start to try to put mirrors behind the fires in order to, um, you know, reflect the light out. Uh, And so by the 18th century, you have a fairly sophisticated use of shaping these mirrors into parabolas to try to capture as much light as they possibly can and direct it outwards. The people who made these mirror reflectors claimed that they could be seen 10 or 12 miles away. But in reality, it was more like five or six miles. And this just wasn't far enough to serve as a fair warning for dangerous coastlines. Sometimes there are even warnings and guides. Uh, they're, they're, you know, sort of there's a there's a lighthouse, for example, at Cape Hatteras, but you don't want to try to look for it because by the time that uh, by the time that you see it, you'll already be uh, you'll already be in the shoals. At this point in history, people did know a thing or two about lenses. They had eyeglasses and magnifying glasses, and these are examples of convex lenses, meaning the lens curves outward. Convex lenses are good for magnifying things, and they can also focus light down into a single point and kind of create a beam of light. So this is why if I take my magnifying glass outside and let sunlight shine through it, the light will focus together into a very bright spot. This spot is actually powerful enough to light paper or dry leaves on fire. So people had already considered, well, what if we made a big magnifying glass and we put it in front of a fire or a lamp and we used it to create a really long, bright beam that sailors could see? But there are many reasons why this would not work. So if you lay a magnifying glass down on a table and look at it edge on, 
it's easy to see that it's thicker in the middle. So a convex lens looks like a little glass dome. It's thick in the middle, and then it tapers off at the edges. And that's the essential part of a convex lens. The curve of the surface of the lens is always going up toward the center. It's curved outward. And as a result, the center has to be thicker than the edges. And if I tried to scale that up to, say, six feet tall or something that would make a decent size for a lighthouse, I'd have a lens so thick in the middle it would just be completely unwieldy. So you're talking about you know, a huge lens with a very thick middle. And, and this had a couple of problems. One is that it meant that the light would have to traverse this uh, so huge amount of glass, and then it would, uh, you, you would lose a lot of the light that way. And then the second problem is that it wasn't even physically possible at this time to make such a huge, um, a huge lens with such a high index of refraction that would, that would bend the light so much. So people had generally disregarded lenses because they weren't physically practical. So that might seem like the end of the road. You can't use a lens in a lighthouse. But hang on there. A giant convex lens would be extremely thick and extremely unwieldy. But as I said, the part of the convex lens that's important, the part that bends the light together, is the surface. So all that extra glass in the middle isn't actually necessary. So scientists had obviously thought, how can we get rid of all this excess glass? And at least one other person had proposed, well, what if you broke the lens up into sections? Or another way to think about it, what if instead of one big lens, you used a whole bunch of smaller lenses? So I can take my magnifying glass outside and create a beam of light and start a fire if I want. But what if I had five magnifying glasses and... I focused them and got that bright spot, and I tilted them ever so slightly so that all of those bright spots came together into one even brighter spot. That's basically the idea behind the Fresnel lens. Now again, Fresnel was not the first person to come up with this idea of breaking the convex lens into sections, but he was the first person to make it a reality. He started with these small triangular pieces of glass, and he arranged them in concentric circles like a bullseye. And if he could tilt each lens to precisely the right angle, he could focus the light coming through each row of glass into a single beam. Yeah, it was a painstaking process. I mean, I mean there were sort of several factors involved. I mean, one is that you needed this really high quality of glass. And, uh, and France was essentially the only place that was making glass of this quality. And then you also needed to have it uh, sort of shaped and, and polished with these levels of precision which were unprecedented. Um, and it meant that uh, Fresnel just had to stay on top of uh, the whole operation. And he was constantly returning things, saying, you know, sort of the curvature isn't right. The curvature is off by 0.02%, and that's too much. Uh, and the people supplying them were, you know, so they sort of throw up their hands and they'd say, this is as good as anything I've ever made. Um, and, and yet for him, it wasn't good enough. The very first Fresnel lenses had these bumpy rows of ridges, but they could still lie flat. And over time, engineers and glassmakers figured out how to curve these lenses and wrap them around the lighthouse lamp. And that way the lenses would capture nearly all of the light that was being radiated. 
And that's how lighthouses achieve those incredibly powerful, bright beams that we now associate with them. In fact, the beams created by the Fresnel lenses were so bright that it was no longer an issue of how many miles away they could be seen, because before the lighthouses became too dim to see, they would dip below the horizon. So the curvature of the earth is the only thing that makes these houses invisible. Despite this incredible jump in performance, Fresnel lenses did not catch on right away. They were still very expensive, five or six thousand dollars in the 1840s. The American Lighthouse Board resisted buying the lenses for years, and they held out until sailors and the U.S. Navy were basically pushing with all their might, emphasizing that the cost would pay itself back in the benefits that these lenses had to offer. So America ended up investing millions of dollars outfitting the eastern coastline with Fresnel lenses, and they were just about all in place when the American Civil War broke out. What happened with the lighthouses during the Civil War demonstrates just what a huge impact Fresnel lenses had on the world. So lighthouses do wind up having this really interesting role in the Civil War. They become these very uh, visible objects of federal property that become uh, sort of highly contested. I mean, what does the South do? It claims them. It claims the federal property then as now belonging to, uh, to the Confederacy. But as soon as war is declared, what happens is that the, uh, the, the Confederacy um, shuts down all the lights. So it wants to make the coastline completely black with the idea that that's going to, um, that's going to, to hinder the blockade that the North has sent. Um, and you see really a sort of um, an interesting scramble of what happens then to these lenses. Um, I mean, a lot of the cases, they're, they're dismantled. They're dismantled and they're either they're sent inland um, to protect or sometimes they're sort of hidden and buried. Sometimes uh, they're not able to dismantle them. I mean, this is a really sort of difficult technical pro process. And so they're just, you know, so uh, smashed um, and destroyed as, as best they can so that the U.S. Navy isn't able to use them either. Um, but sort of everywhere along the coastline, the, you know, so there are different stories that, that play out as, uh, as these lighthouses really become one of, the, uh, one of the pawns that both sides are fighting over. In 1910, the introduction of radio offered sailors another way to steer clear of dangerous coastlines, and eventually satellite and other technologies did the same. Lighthouses are no longer used the way they were in the 19th century, but Fresnel lenses persist. Today, they're made of plastic. They can be as thin as a credit card. They are used as large area magnifiers for people with visual impairment. So you can get large Fresnel lenses that magnify things like computer screens. They're still used in science and industry as a way to focus light into a point, and they pop up in other places, like in overhead projectors. So they now function as a very cheap, very light magnification device. Fresnel did not get to see just how big of an impact his lenses had on the world. He died of tuberculosis in 1827, when just a few lighthouses in France were equipped with the lenses. Throughout his life, Fresnel was in frail health, and yet he pursued science with incredible strength and vigor. 
He was also a really awkward, very painfully shy person. And yet he put himself out there so that he could do the physics that he wanted to do. And he knew that he had tuberculosis when he started working on Fresnel lenses. And he consciously decided to make that the last great effort of his life. You know, I really became quite uh, fond of Fresnel while I was writing this book. He struck me as um, one of these romantic heroes or like a hero of the romantic operas that were actually very popular at the time. I mean, he's this this man. I mean, you can tell from his letters that he's sort of burning with ambition and that you know, he sort of he wants to prove his his genius to the world. It seems fair to say that Fresnel succeeded. Thank you again to Teresa Levitt for being on the podcast. Her book is called A Short, Bright Flash, Augustin Fresnel and the Birth of the Modern Lighthouse. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central Podcast.